Good evening and welcome to Cannabis Network Radio. I'm your host, David Kowalski. Today is Tuesday, June 18th, 2013. I hope everyone is having a wonderful evening. Tonight, we have uh, guest Jason Love with us um, on Cannabis Network Radio. We'll be getting him on air uh, after we get back from a short break. Uh, Jason is leading... uh, the charge, I should say, uh, in the hemp movement, or one of the leaders of the charge of the hemp movement in Colorado and other places um, as well. Um, he's got hempcleans.com as well as he is a consultant to the hemp industry. Uh, you can check out his site uh, of consulting at uh, www.lauve.com. And also, this uh, episode of Cannabis Network Radio is brought to you by If a Peacock Finds a Potleaf. You can find out more about If a Peacock Finds a Potleaf by going to www.peterthepeacock.com. We'll be back in just a few minutes with uh, Cannabis Network Radio. A natural. I'm so high. A natural. Welcome back to Cannabis Network Radio. I'm your host, David Kowalski. Tonight we have with us Jason Lauv. Um, Jason, how are you doing this evening, sir? Excellent, excellent. Thanks for having me on, David. I really appreciate uh, having the opportunity to speak with you this evening. Thank you so much for being on the show. So um, let's bring everyone up to speed real quick about where you're at currently, and then we'll talk. Well, then we'll take a walk down, you know, memory lane. Um, I know that you are aggressively aggressively active right now in the hemp initiative in in Colorado, and that that is your focus. Um, after many years of being a uh, cannabis activist, um, a marijuana activist, um, and I know that you have a couple projects going on right now. You have uh, hempcleans.com, um, and you also have uh, your consulting um, at at. Uh, is it love? Love? I always have a very it's love. It's yeah, love. It's kind of yeah. like the color mauve, but with an L. So love dot com. Right. So love dot com. dot com. Why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit first about uh, this consulting uh, initiative and the consulting business that that you are um, starting or launching, and then talk a little bit about uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, Hemp Cleans uh, concept, initiative, website, etc. Absolutely. Well, they they both tie into the um, legislative work that I've been involved in over the last few years. Specifically, last year I wrote uh, and, and we got passed through the Colorado Legislature HB twelve ten ninety nine, which was or is I should say the Industrial Hemp Remediation Pilot Program, and so that's a test a test program for seeing what hemp can do in regards to cleaning soil, water, and air. And to get a little bit detailed uh, as a reference, um, those of you that remember Chernobyl from about 26 years ago, I think it was, that was a nuclear power station in um, the Ukraine that exploded and um, unfortunately had released a ton of, literally probably, of um, radioactive material and so there's evidence of strontium and cesium-137 and so on and so forth in their, in their soil. And the, um, 
the International Energy Atomic Energy Commission, if I remember right at the time, I might be getting their, their title slightly off there, but um, had started a program to see how contaminated the food was, and they planted hemp. And so they found that hemp actually absorbs those heavy metals, and so that's really where all that started. Um, so Hemp Cleans is a nonprofit. It's a 501c4 where our objective is to guide and drive the regula regulations and um, legislative uh, bills that we need to create a industrial hemp industry in the state of Colorado, as well as in the United States. So we have a lot of people that um, are part of our team, such as Mike Once. Bowman, who uh, is an outspoken farmer who works at the federal level, and he's um, constantly trying to get a hemp component into the farm bill at the uh, federal level. And then uh, just to, to quickly add on to that, the law.com website is my industrial hemp consulting business. I am uh, very well-versed in all aspects of the industry in terms of production, processing, the agronomy aspects of farming, uh, industrial hemp, um, the licensed cultivars that are out there, as well as moving towards creating our own germplasm so we can... Uh, create specific traits in the hemp that we're uh, aiming to create in Colorado. Well, so that is... Quick <laughs> well, thanks. Um, why don't you tell us about what happened on May 6th and about uh, SB 13-241. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, David, you hit on something that is really exciting for all of us. Um, SB 13-241 is the Industrial Hemp uh, Regulations Act through the Department of Agriculture in the state of Colorado. Essentially what that is, is um, the state has defined, Colorado State has defined industrial hemp as a viable agricultural crop. And so... Um, there is no permission, there's no authoritative request from the DEA to do anything because we see this as a Tenth Amendment states' rights issue. And to take that even further, we see this as an individual rights issue. And so SB 13241 was passed unanimously through all House and Senate committees um, and was signed by the governor on, uh, gosh, I want to say June. 28th, I think it was, or sorry, May, March, May 28th, sorry, <laughs> I'm confusing last year's date as well, but um, what what's interesting about that, and actually as a quick note, let me correct myself, there was one no vote from um, a Republican in the Senate, and his reason for the no, no vote was not that he disagreed with what we, we were doing, but he believed that the bill should be completely unrestricted and that it should say just you can grow hemp. So I thought it was kind of a nice no vote, if you will. But essentially, we now have 25 farms in the state of Colorado, and Ryan Laughlin was, Laughlin was the first farmer to plant uh, hemp seed. He's done, I think, about 60 acres, if I remember right. And so that's the first official legal, uh, state legal hemp crop in over 60 years in the United States. In your opinion, do you feel that the federal government is going to give as much push back against industrial hemp as they are or have been doing against marijuana? I think they're going to push back uh, at, at both levels 
And that's an interesting question because I don't see the federal government conceding anything very easily. And for a couple of reasons. One, they've told us that marijuana was harmful. They told us that we'd go out and, and kill people and rape people and that it would harm us and, and so on and so forth for 80, almost 80 years. But yet we've learned that it doesn't do any of those things. In fact, we're seeing that it creates apoptosis, for example, in cancer. It tells cancer to kill itself. So I almost feel that they need to, that what they're doing is putting on that face of fighting back, but at the same time conceding a little bit. Because I don't think they can come out and say, hey, we're wrong, because then it makes them look bad. But I feel that they're going to give Beckel just enough push to make it appear as though we are fighting and winning. Um, I know that sounds sort of uh, um, sort of a sad case of, 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 the, of uh, affairs and that they should admit that they also have patents that acknowledge these, uh, these valuable traits, such as, as uh, killing cancer or addressing neuropathic diseases. But yes, I do think that they're going to push back a little bit. All right, fair enough. I, I, you know, I, I guess... For me, I always find it so hard for the, I guess the the idiosyncrasy of uh, of the government not being able, not different. I'm saying that they're not able to, but they don't differentiate between you know industrial hemp um, and marijuana or cannabis, however you want to refer it to. Um, for those that are listening to the show and and are kind of unclear about it, I know I've spoken about it in the past. Um, why don't you go ahead and and just educate people real quick the this the small but the few differences between industrial hemp and uh, cannabis. <laughs> well, this is where it gets a little cloudy. So we talk about cannabis, and a lot of times, those of us in the medical realm talk about medical cannabis. But in fact, cannabis is really the the species of plant, and hemp falls within that. So normally, we see there's indica, there's ruderalis, and there's sativa. Now, most of the hemp plants are going to fall into that sativa category. Now, hemp, and this is kind of a funny little note, but a lot of people in the medical cannabis realm don't even know what hemp is. And so I can't even expect the general populace to understand either. I actually had uh, a gentleman from a, a cannabis company say, oh, isn't the waste from all the medical cannabis hemp? <laughs> and in some ways, I guess he's correct, but to really define that, Hemp is something that you will grow about four inches away from, from each other. So all the plants are very densely spaced, kind of like wheat. Whereas medical cannabis, you're going to have about a four to six foot spacing between the plants. And so the quick way to say it is the difference is four inches or four feet. In other words, right. a cannabis plant is big and bushy because you want it to flower and branch out and create all those um, sensomia buds without seeds. And so you get rid of the, the males to um, control that environment. With hemp, you want both the male and female, so the male pollinates the female, so you get seeds, because seed in the hemp plant is a very valuable crop for food, for um, technical oils, for fuel down the road. Um, we may have heard of the diesel engine from Rudolph Diesel that was actually designed to run off vegetable oils such as hemp oil. Hemp oil has a very nutritious value to it. It has a very uh, balanced omega-3s, 6s, and 9s um, for our essential fatty acids, for omega, uh, the omegas, and that helps in our digestion. It helps in controlling 
blood sugar levels, it helps in controlling pain, and so on and so forth. The quick way that I say this to the farmers when I do presentations to the farmers in Colorado or Kansas and New Mexico is that if you want to get high off a of hemp, you're going to have to roll up a telephone pole-sized um, um, joint, if you will, and you're going to have to smoke the whole thing, even to get a little buzz. But that first drag you take off of that telephone pole, you will have the biggest headache in your life, and you're not going to want to touch any more of it. So it's really a way of saying it's impossible. It's like the difference between alcoholic cider um, beer or, or apple cider or vinegar. You know, you're not going to go ahead and drink that vinegar, except for maybe for health purposes. Right. So... If we get down to the actual numbers, the hemp in Colorado, when it's produced and processed, has to fall below three-tenths of a percent of THC, or tetrahydrocannabinol. And to give you an idea, most of the medical cannabis or recreational social use cannabis out there is going to fall above 7%. Actually, nowadays, it's a lot higher than that, which means people are using less because they don't need as much to get that that effect. So when we process this product, not only is that THC going to be really low, but it's going to be processed into things that you probably won't want to smoke. Your car parts, for example, um, the food I mentioned that we've demonstrated that there's never been a case of somebody testing for THC through ingestion mm -hmm. of food products, um, but also clothing, also clothing. Um, hemp shirts, for example, have a very excellent uh, absorption rate. They're very insulative. They, they perform cotton. They outperform cotton in so many ways um, and actually add other value to it, such as antimicrobial behavior. So, for example, if you take cotton, a piece of cotton and a piece of hemp and they're contaminated with, say, pneumonia or maybe you do another set with staph infection or MRSA, which is a very prevalent virus in the hospitals, and a lot of people suffer from that, we could actually eliminate those diseases. And here's what happens. If you wash those pieces of fabric, the first wash, hemp is clean. Twelve washes later, that cotton is still contaminated with some level of bacteria from either MRSA or, or um, pneumonia or, or any other virus that's out there. So there's an added benefit that we don't get from other products. So hopefully it gives a quick overview, but there's, I literally could talk about thousands of different uses for this plant, industrial purpose uses. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> I concur with that. And I actually had uh, did an episode not so long ago, and I actually think I was in Colorado when I, when I did the episode that I called uh, it uh, Hemp Hemp Hooray, and I talk about all the benefits of, of industrial hemp. Um, what is your uh, outlook or your perspective on... Uh, not only the commercial farming aspect of hemp, but what type of business and what kind of, uh, I guess, financial uh, benefit do you see industrial hemp bring into the state of Colorado? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, if we were to look at the current market right now, we in the United States are the largest importer of hemp products in the world, yet we don't produce any of it. And so there's a very interesting um, situation that's been created, and I like to compare it to what happened after um, World War II with Germany and Japan. They didn't have any infrastructure left. It was all destroyed. 
but yet they were able to bring in all the new equipment that they needed, and they were able to leapfrog us in terms of technology and development. Not only that, but we exported a lot of the manufacturing out of our country. And so what this does for Colorado is it offers an opportunity to farmers to make a choice about what they're growing. Number one, it gives them a choice about what they're, how they're treating their soil because they don't have to add all the pesticides and herbicides that they would need for most other crops, such as corn or cotton or soy or any of those um, intensive crops. Hemp has, has its own natural um, pesticide built into it. Actually, those of you who have seen those purple colors in your flower, the purple uh, little hairs, that's in indicating that that's actually the plant's actually creating a pesticide. Um, and then because it grows so quickly, it'll shade out a lot of the other weed plants or plants in the field that you don't want there. And so it, it acts as its own herbicide. It's a very drought-resistant plant. Sorry, drought-tolerant. I won't say resistant. It's also frost-tolerant. And then if we look at the actual economic value to this, the net take-home for a farmer could potentially be higher than any other crop that they're growing right now. So we're getting a win-win-win across the board. We can sequester CO2 so we can clean the atmosphere. We can clean the soil, reduce the salinity levels, which improves soil for the next crop in rotation, so it may yield a larger uh, corn crop, for example, following a hemp crop. But now that farmer, instead of having that field go lay fallow for, for a year or turning it into a CRP field, uh, for example, out here in Colorado, a conservation uh, program field, is that they can actually gain a value-added product. And so that product could be something like, in the beginning, it could be herd, or shiv, it's known as in Europe, could be used for building materials, so a lot of people may have heard of hempcrete or hemp block. Um, another product would be animal bedding, fuel pellets, another product you can make out of those raw materials. And what we're looking at is something that, what can we sell and get into the market right away without too much infrastructure or build-out? Or what infrastructure can we currently use that exists, say, in the state of Colorado to accelerate this process, whether it's OSB-oriented strand, uh, oriented strand board for plywood or building materials, um, or for automotive use, so we can build car parts out of this stuff. The BMW, Mercedes are all using those materials. And so the economic benefit starts with the farmer. It goes into phytoremediation for cleaning soil. The state of Colorado spends, for example, $500 million a year just cleaning contaminated soils, and they use chemical and mechanical processes for that. So we could start to supplement hemp into that process, so we'd save money there. It'll increase the habitat and wildlife viewing opportunities. It'll increase water quality. So those areas are very big economic issues in the state of Colorado, especially because of our water law here. It's very, very strict. And that doesn't exist really in many other states. So is the Colorado uh, hemp industry? Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, David. I'm, I didn't mean to jump in there. Oh, it's all right. Is the Colorado hemp industry or, or your organization looking for people to invest and develop in uh, the hemp industry in Colorado? Yes, and that's the biggest opportunity right now. I like to say that this is similar to the invention of the car, the telephone, and the Internet all at the same time. And so investment opportunities are abundant right now. Um, I do know that 
the uh, Colorado, sorry, the Rocky Mountain Hemp Co-op will be starting up soon, and that's going to be run by all the farmers. Now, the current farmers that have already become part of the R&D program this year, um, I know that there have been uh, companies that have approached them to purchase their product already. Now, the economic potential here is very small investment numbers for a very, very big return. On the conservative side, I say that in the next five to ten years, a yearly profit for the state of Colorado could be upwards of a billion dollars a year, and it can bring thousands of jobs. And so, for me, this is not just about selling a product for less money, but it's about selling a product that has other value to it that don't that doesn't exist in, in um, other products. So, for example, I mentioned the cloth, but if I talk about, say, hempcrete, and compare that to concrete or cinder block, the cinder block, uh, or sorry, hempcrete or hemp block, has a R value, so it's insulative. Mm-hmm. It re- it absorbs sound instead of reflecting sound. It offers that same antimicrobial behavior, so it could actually prevent the growth and destroy black mold problems. And so really what we're looking at here are value and uh, potential uh, return on investment that's larger than what we would look at with, say, just another similar product to concrete. Yeah, I mean, here in Florida, actually, um, uh, there someone built a hempcrete house um, in Tarpon Springs, which is, I don't know, about 40 minutes or so from, from where I live. Um, down by the water and uh, I had the opportunity while it was being built to go over there and talk with the owner and and see the process and to see the materials and uh, he actually was telling me one of the largest cost factors in building the home was having to import everything from the UK all the materials one and two is that the construction equipment is not the same that is used in regard to like the mixer mixers commercial mixers need to be uh different because of i guess the speed and and the way that commercial mixers for concrete mix differently for the hemp and the lye and and whatnot and he was saying that you know the actual materials or equipment used to actually do hempcrete construction is something that we don't have here either so they had to like fabricate and custom make a lot of different equipment as well uh for this construction on this this one home so i looked at it as like if that really is fact then not only are we looking at a whole different a whole industry in regard to the plant and derivatives thereof but we're also looking at an entire industry that can open up in terms of producing uh equipment and and whatnot to utilize it in in building capacity and other capacities as well Yes, so the biggest piece of equipment that uh, we would really need to um, work on would be the decorticator. Now, a decorticator, for those of you who have never heard that before, is basically something that takes the hemp plant, it strips the leaves, and takes the stem apart because there are multiple layers in there. There's the bark, there's the fiber, there's the herd, and so all of that needs to be stripped and separated but also kept in a linear Format. So, in other words, you can't strip the fiber out and bunch it all up. It needs to stay intact. And so, a decorticator basically runs that material through a bunch of teeth, um, some sharp teeth, some uh, jagged, some round, um, some sort of soft, if you will, but, but through different stages, 
and is able to separate that material. Now, at the same time, there's another issue, and that's the lignin, which is the natural glue, if you will, in, in the plant. And so that also has to be dealt with. And normally we would talk about redding or rotting the fiber to um, break down that material, but nowadays there are actually other, other techniques to, to uh, do the same thing, whether it's ultrasonic mater- uh, um, application or uh, microwave technology. And so you're absolutely right. The equipment is a little different. Now, I wouldn't say go as far as that uh, we couldn't use standard mixers. There is a way to do that. Um, but this gets into currently what is hempcrete versus what's hemp block. Um, the hemp construction systems that are out there are still at the basic level. They're uh, rudimentary, if you will. And I don't mean to to belittle anybody, but I think there's still a lot of research and development to be done to achieve a very high-quality product. So right now we have something that's comparable to, say, cinder block, but I think we can exceed those building standards as well. Fair enough. I definitely concur, and that does open a a plethora of, of, again, opportunities for development, product development, industrial development, equipment development, so on and so forth, um, by the legalization of hemp farming here in the United States. Um, You're listening to Cannabis Network Radio um, with guest Jason Love. Um, We'll be back in just a few minutes uh, to continue more uh, talking about the Hemp Initiative in Colorado and other places. Uh, We'll be back after this uh, short break. Welcome back to Cannabis Network Radio. I'm your host, David Kowalski. We are talking with Jason Love of Love.com, hemp consultant extraordinaire, um, and (laughs) the executive director and founder of HempCleans.com as well. Um, And actually, Ed, when we were on break, uh, our show producer had a question to ask Jason, so I'm actually going to bring him on. Hey, Ed, how you doing? Good, man. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing fantastic. Um, you had a question? You yeah, said for Jason, um, I heard earlier when you were talking about the effects that hemp's going to have on, on the uh, Colorado area, you mentioned water. I'd like to know more. How is, it go- how is growing hemp going to improve the water? Well, that one's a fun, uh, a fun one to talk about. On the water usage side, uh, and Ed, thank you for asking that. That's really an important part of the phytoremediation program as well. But on the uh, water use side, and being I mentioned that uh, Colorado has probably the strictest laws in in the United States about water and water usage, is that um, in crop production, hemp will use slightly less water, actually a good amount less water than most other crops. So, for example, corn will use a total of about 40 inches of water. So that would be about uh, 15 inches of rainfall plus addition additional 35 to 40 inches of, uh, uh, of rainfall. And then in addition to that, uh, or sorry, in, in comparison to that, hemp will use approximately 30, 35 total. So the 15 rainfall plus an additional 15 or so. And so right off the bat, we're using less water. 
And what happens is when a farmer waters his field, not all that water stays in the field. A lot of it will actually run off the field. And what's happening is that it's picking up all the nutrients and the pesticides and the herbicides and carrying it into the waste stream, or what in this case it runs back into our freshwater stream. Now, some of you may have heard of uh, algae bloom, and that's what happens when you put too many nutrients into the water and everything gets really excited, all the plant life gets really excited, and the algae says, hey, I'm going to go ahead and eat all this stuff up and, and uh, create a bloom, essentially grows really rapidly. And what happens there is it can kill off all sorts of other wildlife and, and uh, fish and, and other plants. It chokes everything. And so it's using up all the oxygen in the water and leaving the water dead. And so we see a result, for example, down in the Gulf of Mexico, we see what's called eutrophication. And that is essentially dead sea, if you will. And so we can mitigate that by planting border crops of hemp around existing crops, so as a fence uh, for water, and it will mitigate the levels of uh, nutrients that enter the water stream because the hemp plant wants to absorb this stuff so rapidly. And then let's take that even further. If we are creating uh, sewage waste, that sewage is then sent down to a processing plant. A lot of that is chemically remediated uh, and then sent back into our water system. We could actually use live hemp plants to start to break down a lot of those waste materials. But then in addition, we can think about creating a filter process. And this is where the R&D people really would benefit and investors would really be useful at this point because I believe we can create filter mats that we can utilize in the sewage waste processing system that will capture a lot of the um, positive or useful waste material that we can then reincorporate into our farm fields. So very similar to what we do with cattle, we take their manure and we use that as fertilizer in the fields. But unfortunately, that's not the best solution in all cases. And then the last part of this, and these are just examples along the way, the last part of this is we've seen evidence that the hemp plant can absorb pharmaceuticals from the water as well. And so we know that there are a lot of problems with estrogen, uh, for example, releases in, in water. There are, are people I've met who are specifically working on that kind of research. And so the hemp plant is demonstrating that it can alleviate those stresses in the water as well. So we're looking at all levels of, of cleaning of the, the water, whether it's through the initial use, in the waste stream, or in um, pharmaceutical remediation. And you also saying about atmospheric benefit and a, a benefit to the atmosphere, or, or yes, to the and air so uh, this is this again is one of those amazing things that comes from the cannabis plant, and 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 more specifically the hemp plant here is the hemp plant obviously uses nutrients, and we mentioned it can suck up heavy metals, um, salts, and there are a whole bunch of other things in the area of water, as we just talked about, all those contamination or, um, contaminants. And now with the air, the CO2 in the atmosphere, for example, plants thrive off of CO2. They need it to, to survive. And they produce oxygen as a waste product. And we, lo and behold, we happen to need oxygen for our own breathing. And so that's cool in and of itself, but CO2 has been attributed to global warming, or at least one of the global warming gases. And the hemp plant has the highest, what they call, RU factor, R-U-E. 
That's the radiation utilization efficiency factor. In other words, it turns gaseous CO2 into carbon form the most effectively out of any plant on the planet. And so it can reduce carbon pressure on our planet, which is a big issue nowadays. So people have talked about carbon credits. So I'm hoping that one day that there's a system where you as a consumer who buys a hemp shirt will then be credited with that carbon credit from that hemp shirt or from that home that you buy or that home you mentioned in Florida is capable of sequestering in its lifetime of the growth of those, of those materials 20,000 pounds of CO2 from the environment. So maybe when you buy your home, you get another carbon credit for that. And then we can take this even further. I believe there's evidence that we can absorb benzenes, for example, um, and diesel, or sorry, jet fuel, for example, has a byproduct of benzene, which is then emitted into the atmosphere. And I believe that the hemp plant will demonstrate as well that we can absorb those contaminants. Wow. I mean, you know, when you think about it, the uh, the benefits uh, of industrial hemp it it's just it goes on and on and on and on both environmentally uh fiscally commercially you know indi- i mean the list is is endless um and you know the fact that you know you're focused on and and being a part of this initiative in Colorado and you know are participating with the this farming and 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 i guess really taking the first step um, here yeah. in the United States is 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 an awesome thing, and and thank you for everything that you're doing for that. Um, let's take Thanks, uh, David. Uh, you know, real quick. Can I share something with you on that note? Um, there's a movie out there called Bringing It Home that just came out recently, and it talks about the houses that have been built and what this can do for this for us. One of those people that built a hemp house in North North Carolina in Asheville. He built it because his daughter has autism. And she probably acquired this problem because of all the outgassing that petroleum products leave us in the environment. So the poisons that come out of these products have been attributed to um, ailments such as autism. And so the belief is that as we start to build and use these products, we'll become healthier, happier people. No doubt. I mean, I think I think across the board, whether it be talking about cannabis or in commercial hemp or whatever the case is, I think uh, overall the plant in itself improves the quality of people's lives in every which way, in every facet, so on and so forth. Um, in case anyone's interested about uh, checking out that movie that Jason just mentioned, uh, the website for that is www.bringingithomemovie.com, um, and you can go ahead and... Uh, find out more information about that um jason before you got into uh the hemp movement you were very active uh in the world of medical marijuana as a patient as an advocate as an outspoken individual um in colorado and and i actually met you um quite a few years ago in dc a, as an activist um at and I That's think right. it was the 4, 420 Overgrow the Government event there. Um, I do believe it was in 2010, I do believe. Um, yeah, I it was. Yeah, I totally remember that. And, uh, and so why don't you, and I know that, you know, your case, you know, things leading up to your case, you know, three-week trial, um, all that jazz ended up in a acquittal, which was kind of a landmark case, in, not only in Colorado, but in general. Um, can you 
elaborate a little bit about you know that and and I guess um, you know I know it's kind of taking a walk down the road, but but your sentiments and your feelings once once you heard that deliberation in, in the courthouse. Oh wow, <laughs> David, this is a it, it's a huge story. I'm going to keep it pretty short and just really address the acquittal uh, itself and what that meant for everybody. And just to give us a little context, you mentioned the trial. Just so everybody knows, um, I am a medical marijuana, a medical cannabis patient, and I know we say marijuana here in the state, but I'm a medical cannabis patient, and I have been pretty much since the law started here in 2000. Um, I've, I was a, bit, a very big athlete. I've um, had many injuries. I've had head injuries. I've uh, been impaled in my chest skiing with all sorts of crazy things, and, and one year, I was hit by a snowboarder. It doesn't matter, a skier or a snowboarder. It's not like I have anything against uh, either one. And um, I broke my back. Um, and uh, in 2005, I got my official red card, as they refer to it here. And um, I was a professor in Denver. I used to teach uh, computer programming and special effects and character animation for those who wanted to get into all the fun stuff in Hollywood. And... Um, my background's very diverse, and uh, unfortunately, I was raided by the Boulder Drug Task Force one year, actually almost five years to the day on the 22nd of this month, and um, that led into 14 months of extreme duress and, and stress and um, all sorts of other things come from this, but in um, August, of, August 6th of 2009, I was acquitted by a jury of my peers, so I won my trial with 12 jury members unanimously saying that I was not guilty, or I should say better, innocent. And that was for possession of two pounds, two ounces, hash, concentrates, um, cannabis oils, keef, and 30-some-odd plants. David, you still there? Yes, sir. We're li- oh. take, taking in your story. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure. I was, I'm on a cell phone, folks, so sorry about that. You oh, know, no, it's, no, it's actually good to hear that we were so quiet that you couldn't hear anything. That means that we're doing a good job of, of keeping the audio right, so um, <laughs> whatever. But, yes, uh, two pounds so, and hash, and wow, that must have been uh, a, a kind of a – I bet you the, whoever it was thought they were such a big dog, and, you know, the law enforcement thought they were such – they were such, they were such like – doing such a great thing when they did that too that that's it's like well, I, have a, I have a book coming out that'll tell all those details because that's a very specific story in of itself that yeah. the district attorney issues there yeah but um, to shorten that uh stan garnett and i stan garnett was the da who carried the prosecution through he wasn't the first one who brought charges he and i are friends now he's a very good person and he learned a lot from my trial um he now supports the medical marijuana uh, growth um he definitely, you know, sees law as it is, but also sees that we have demonstrated through my trial, as well as other things that have happened in the state, that medical cannabis must be available to those who need it. Now, what does that mean? Well, in my case, what the jury said was that I could have had a ton of marijuana. It didn't matter to them. The point was, it worked for me. I needed it. I am allowed to use that. And so it was determined through that case that I, as a patient, am the one who determines how much to use. Not my doctor, not anybody else, although it could be my caregiver as well, 
but it was me who makes that decision and nobody can tell me otherwise. And so that's what was so big about that case. It demonstrated that number one, yes, this has a use. Number two, yes, I'm the one who makes that decision. And number three, it's up to us as to how we use that medicine. If we smoke it, if we vaporize it, if we use it topically, and in, in my case, I was using most of that medicine to, um, to ingest. I was eating it. And it had a major, major effect on my pain levels, as well as all the other issues that I have uh, in my body. So it's now, um, it's been almost, what, four years since I won the case. It'll be in, in, in August. And what has happened since then is we went from about 12 to 16 centers or dispensaries in the state of Colorado at the time, and only a few months after my case, it jumped up to over a thousand. Now, of course, since then, we've seen things like 1284, which is regulatory system for medical marijuana sales, come into play, and it's lowered that number of dispensaries down to about, I think we're at like 350 or 400 in the state right now. But I still question that, because coming back to Amendment 20, it says right in there, as a patient and or a caregiver, I can sell, transport, distribute, dispense, manufacture, and the list goes on with a few other things. And that's in section 2D, subsection 2D of article 18, sorry, article, yeah, article 18 of the uh, Colorado Constitution. And so I encourage people to read that is what I'm getting at. We're not done yet. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I guess... Yeah, I can't even begin to under, understand what a what a true victory feels like as to not only be acquitted, but to then have the judge order them to return your medicine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that must have been an awesome feeling. That must have been like I mean, that must have made you that feel day, like that day was the scariest day of my life and the most amazing day of my life. I'm still getting choked up here. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. I, I have no doubt. I mean, it's, it literally was life changing. It, you know? it feels like it happened yesterday. I mean, David, you hit on something that's very important. Yeah. I, before this happened, I was fighting for my life. This was my liberty or death situation. Either I fought for my freedom or I was going to die, whether it was being on pharmaceuticals or being put in prison. Yep. And so I had no choice. Now, the result of this, when I heard the, that jury verdict, um, Rob Corey was my attorney. I was holding on to him, and I collapsed. I hit the floor. <laughs> I was so happy. Uh, wow. But I, I what imagine. sunk in later on is when I heard things from other people, like what you're saying, is that it allowed other people to recognize they had those same rights and that they, too can seek something out that would be better for them and give them better results than most or any other pharmaceutical or medical Western medicine that they have tried. Now, don't, don't get me wrong here because it wasn't just cannabis that's healed me. It's been a lot of alternative um, healthcare, I shouldn't say alternative, but traditional old school medicine that has helped me. Eating properly is a big one. Eating hemp seeds is a big one acupuncture, chiropractics, exercise, you know, all those things play together in this, in this picture. 
Well, so that's what really that's what it revealed to me is I can now share my story and help other people. And I definitely know that that it helped you because when I saw you in Colorado a couple months ago, you were up and about as opposed to in your chair. So I definitely know that that yep. it's helping you for sure. So that's that's definitely a great thing. Um, you know, I would be remiss though not to point out since we're talking about hemp and things like that to uh, not mention, um, you know, today would have been Jack Hare's, uh birthday um and uh jack was a great man uh i did have the opportunity to meet him you know in his, in his life um and he was a very outspoken advocate of both uh, cannabis and hemp um and he really did make a very large impact um and still does actually uh posthumously uh, uh on on both the hemp and and cannabis as world and and Happy birthday, Jack. Sorry you're not with us anymore. Um, we do he's miss you. He's still here. He's with us. He's with me every day. I have to say that you, thank you for pointing that out, and happy birthday, Jack. And uh, Jeannie here, um, um, thank you very much for supporting such a wonderful man. That's um, um, Jack's Jack's wife. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I don't think I'd be here without Jack, um, not just as a person, but for what he's done in terms of his research and his, his advocacy, his his uh, pure, just driven intent to help people. I mean, he would give his shirt off the back in a, in a snowstorm to anybody. He sure would. He sure would. Yeah. yeah so thank you, David, for, for, for bringing, that, bringing him up. He really, yeah. I think um, a lot of us wouldn't be here without him today. That, that is very true. And, and for those of you who don't know who Jack Herr is, um, that are listening to the show, um, by all means, um, check it out, Google uh, put him on Google. You can go to jackhair.com. He also wrote the book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes. There's been, uh, uh, it's more than just a book. It's like a mission statement, I guess. I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, definitely worth reading. Um, and uh, there's been lots of documentaries on him as well. So uh, if you're not familiar with who Jack Hare was, um, he was a great man, a great advocate, a great mentor great leader, a great inspiration to all of us that are, are, are advocates um, and patients you know, and, and whatnot. David, one, one quick note I want to add to that is a lot of that you, what you're saying is so true, um, but a lot of people would say that Jack was mean or Jack was rude or that kind of that thing. That was his you personality. Know? You had to know him. I mean, uh, Jack was candid and he, he talked the way it was. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Jack, that, Jack told it the way it was. And that's, that's it. That's his personality. Yeah, and I think that that's necessary, and I really appreciated that side of him. And and some people say to me, you know, sometimes I'm a little abrasive or, or I come across as an asshole. Well, I have to say sometimes, actually all the time, I'm probably wrong <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm like that. Yeah. But it comes from the heart. It comes from my my staunch belief that what I'm doing is helping people. And, and sometimes it puts me in a defensive place where... Um, I feel like I just need to say that I am right about about this, and I don't mean about what I'm trying to put out there, but about what I've learned about cannabis. Well, that's a, that's a true trademark of an activist. I mean, I I can be you know an asshole and stubborn and 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 focused on you know a lot because that's just what it is to to be an activist. I mean, you 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 know what the right thing is, and it gets to the point sometimes where it's frustrating, and you're like you know, damn it, just listen to what you have to say and you got to stick by your gun. And sometimes that means not being everyone's best friend. I mean, it's just, that's just part of being a true activist. So 
you know. What you're saying there to me is that we've been, and this is something that my girlfriend and I have been talking about a lot. We've been in, all of us have been in this fighting mode for so long. And we've had to. We've had to fight for our lives. We've had to fight for our families. We've had to fight for our friends. Our freedom. We have to fight for our, our well-being. We have to fight for, you know, all those things. And what I'm starting to recognize now, and this is, I still get stuck in this, but we don't need to fight anymore. Yes, we have our work to do, but we can come together, work together, and really make this change. And this is what I've learned from the hemp, the hemp work that I've done, as well as the, the medical cannabis stuff that I've done, is that I can accomplish so much more by working with a team of people like yourself, opposed to us running around almost like chickens with our heads cut off, trying to defend our own status. Well, so... I'm just hoping that, that what we see, and I really want to work toward this with everybody, is that we work together. Because there is, there is, honestly, there's still a lot of, of infighting and, and that kind of thing going on. Un- unity but is the key to we're success. We're all toward the same goal. Yeah, unity is the key to success. And, you know, Jason, I, I love, you know, being able to work together with you on different projects. I, I love the opportunity to spend hours talking to you when we were together in Colorado. That was that was a great night, you know, in, in general. Um you know, we, we were able to uh, just, I think, reach out to a lot of people, you know, that were, were in Colorado for, you know, just recreational. But I think we both you and I had the opportunity that evening to reach out to so many people together um, and, and to hopefully make a difference in some people's lives. So you have a, you have a phrase that you've you've stuck in my mind and, and I saw it in action. Yeah. And, and do you mind sharing that with everybody? Um, sure. Um, it's, it's, it's <laughs> all right. It's basically you have the power to change a person's life, and yeah. and I I kind of was explaining this to Jason, and 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 I think when we were sitting there talking initially, you kind of had this look of like I don't quite get it, you know. And I tried explaining to to Jason when we were having this conversation, like you'll get it, just just give it a minute, let it sink in. And, and, and I think you did kind of get it, but it wasn't, you didn't really get it until you saw me talking or in action, talking to somebody else. Um, because when you actually take a, take a moment and you step back and you think about that as a, as a cannabis activist, as a hemp activist, as as a person like, like Jason and a person like myself, we have the ability to change a person's life. How do you put a dollar amount on that? You know, when, when that gentleman asked me, what do I need? How much do I need? Right. You know, and, and my answer was simple. I mean, how much does it take or how much does it cost to change a person's life? You know, there is no non... light bulb goes off, his light bulb went off, and he's like, oh, I can take all my trim and turn it into oil and give it to cancer patients and save their lives. <laughs> And that that right there, like that that right there, changed a person's life. It, it changed something that that person is going to do to affect another person's life in a positive way. And to and me, there there is no that. there is no value on that. That is why I do what I do. You know, I have the power to change a person's life, whether it be them directly or through my outreach to somebody else and that's why when you know you and I sat down that evening and and we talk about everything it comes down to the fact that we do what we do 
because we want to help people first and foremost. And then it's the after effects of, of potentially, you know, having revenue or business or so on and so forth, because our mentality is that of giving and not taking. And, you know, that's what was discussed last night. You know, if you are a taker, everything gets taken from you. If you're a giver, everything comes back to you. And, and and I choose to be a giver and, and Jason chose to be a giver and Jack Herrett chose to be a giver and so many other people in, in this world and community we live in choose to be givers and, and it does come around and does and does benefit us and the fact that, that we can 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 go to bed at night, you know, when things get tough and we get stressed, we know that we have the power to change a person's life. That's, I mean, you're absolutely right, and that's something that it took me a little bit to really grasp onto, but when I saw it in action, it really turned my light on as well. It's something that um, I've always known of, but I just couldn't quite put my finger on it until that that happened in front of me. And this was this was with, with uh, David and I when we were over at Hood Lab in uh, Denver, which was a hemp store, um, a phenomenal hemp store, to say the least. But... Um, that really, really brought me to full focus of, of why we're doing what we're doing. And you're right. I mean, it sounds so simple when you say takers or takers and givers are givers, but that means so much more when you start to see what that actually plays out as in our life. And so it, it's really it's a, coming from a place from being selfless. You know, honestly, and this is where I still try, I, I'm not completely selfless. I still have an ego in there, and that gets in the way, as my girlfriend looks at me and makes faces. <laughs> but, you know, I'm learning about this, too. We live in a society that's very, um, very dominating, and people like ourselves are expressing a new way to look at things. And, you know, and this is nothing new, really. It's been around for thousands of years. There are people who practice this in their, their, their meditation, in their religious perspectives, in their um, trying to feed the homeless. There's so many ways that this can be done. But it was that realization for me that revealed the bigger picture of how this actually plays out and how it does help my fellow man well, Jason, and woman. I'm flattered. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't realize how big of an impact I, I had, but I appreciate that. You know, you know me, you know, you sit me down and you, you smoke me up. I'm going to tell you what's on my mind <laughs> and I'm going to share it with everyone that's around me. And, and, and that's just, you know, I, I, I get, and, and that's really the truth. I mean, the, the long and the short of it is, is everyone that knows me says, you know, why are you doing this? You have so much to risk and, and so much, you know, like, is it going to make you money? Are you losing money? You know, listen, the world of cannabis activism has taken care of me, and I hope it continues to take care of me because I take care of, of it and the people within it because it's something that I believe in with all of my heart, and it's something that I, that I know I'm meant to do, and, and that's why I got to where I'm going. That's why I'm not giving up on what I'm doing, and that's why I keep going because I know I have the power to change a person's life and change a person's life for the better. And, and, and that's why I, I work together with people like you, Jason, and, and so many others, uh, in this industry. So, but that's exciting. That is what we want. We want to, you know, the more of us that come together and we find each other, the 
faster and bigger this grows. Unity is key. Unity is key for sure. Jason, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. It was a true honor having you. Um, you are an inspiration. You have done great things um, over your years uh, through both trial, tribulation, self-sacrifice, and literal pain uh, and suffering uh, to, to let your voice be heard. Um, people like you are so important to the cause, and, and I'm honored that not only do I know you, but I consider yourself uh, consider you to be a friend. Um, as well. Absolutely, and, and, David. And thank you so much. Thank you for being on uh, Cannabis Network Radio this evening, and I hope everything goes the way you want, and you know that I'm always around for you to uh, you know, reach out to, and I always have an open ear for you, my friend. So uh, have a wonderful evening, and thank you again, and thank you for being on with us on Cannabis Network Radio this evening. Thanks again, David. I really love being on here, and it all goes likewise for you. Anything you need, just reach out. I'm here for you all. Thank you. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you. You too, David. Enjoy that um, Florida air out there, <laughs> and I hope to see you soon down there. Will do. All right. Take care. So that was uh, Jason Love, uh, the executive director and founder of HempCleans.com, as well as uh, Love Consulting. Uh, you can check that out at www.love.com. Um, and that's all we got for tonight's edition of Cannabis Network Radio. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, we have been growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, we average over 2,000 downloads a week on iTunes. Uh, we're currently sitting in the 6th and 7th, sixth and seventh, fluctuating the 6th and 7th spot on iTunes. Um, we have a whole lot of subscribers that the list keeps growing every single day. Uh, we don't have those. A lot of people rating us. We have a lot of people listening to us. We don't have a lot of people rating us. And rating us on iTunes is really, really important. So please go ahead and uh, take a moment to rate um, our podcast on iTunes. Um, also on cannetradio.com uh, when it's working properly. Tonight's been a little bit buggy for some reason. Um, we do have a, a live chat feature as well as um, the option to listen to a live stream. We have our episodes running all day, every day, 24-7. Um, anybody who's interested in supporting, advertising with, or uh, having your own cannabis-related show on Cannabis Network Radio, uh, get in contact with us. Send an email to ed at cannetradio.com, or you can send it to myself, david at cannetradio.com, and we'll be happy to go ahead and discuss options for you. Uh, as well as we will have an advertising link uh, or support link uh, page up on our site, hopefully uh, within the next few days as well, uh, with some specials and, and, and opportunities to get in uh, on uh, getting your message to uh, the world of cannabis enthusiasts. Um, and again, I thank everyone. Um, I thank all 11,000 plus people that have supported our page on Facebook and the subscribers and, and everyone. Uh, we definitely could not have been here. And I like to thank also our, our advertisers and our supporters. Um, you know, you make this possible and, and thank you so much for all that you do. Um, and I wish everyone a good evening and uh, take care. And we'll talk to you on Thursday. Have a good night.